0: It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott.
1: Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. All right. Well, here we are once again. Um, Scott, what have you seen recently? You've, you've been a bachelor for a week or so, so you've had I a, a chance to, uh, I get to, to see watch, a lot of movies.
0: Yeah, I get to watch movies that I know the wife will hate or at least won't be interested in. And so I kind of try to take advantage of that. Um I've seen, I went and saw it by myself a couple of weeks ago now. We haven't recorded in a little while. I went and saw the movie Drive, which is a, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's the movie I wanted the Transporter to be. Um, you remember the BMW? Um, the Clive Owen films for yeah, BMW? I mean, yeah. This would fit in that. uh Type those those movies like if you could line all those up drive would fit into those movies very well The only thing I didn't like about it is that there comes a point where it becomes violent like over the top violent weird it's like it's a very quiet almost very European kind of an action film and then all of a sudden um, people's heads get crushed in fist fights it's like not in a fist fight I mean it's it's a very, it's just there's a couple sequences that are very bloody and almost like oh wow. That wasn't where I thought this movie mm-hmm. was going. Um, that being said, uh, Ryan Gosling is awesome. And the, this opening chase sequence is one of the most original and most interesting chase sequences I've ever seen. Um, because it doesn't focus on action. It focuses on the, the driver who's trying to get away being aware of this, his surroundings and actually logically thinking of a way to try to escape the police. So instead of it just being like fast going around corners and jumping over things, he's actually methodically making his way through the city in a way to avoid arrest. And it's Hmm. really fascinating. Um, Yeah, it sounds good. It is. And I would, I would definitely recommend it. It's, it's very, very interesting. Going Um,
1: on Netflix
0: now. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. Um, Went and saw Crazy Stupid Love. I actually saw that with you. I was going to say, we went and saw that one together. Yeah, the four of us. We went on and saw that. And I, I don't know how... We didn't talk about it afterwards. We kind of parted ways. But I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a very solid comedy. And it was one... What I appreciated the most about it was that I honestly didn't see... I couldn't predict the ending. And it's, it's kind of rare when you walk into a comedy, especially, that you can't kind of see the punchline...
1: Yeah, ending. I, I right. would
0: agree. It was um, there's a couple, it, it, there's a couple it, very genuine twists in the story, and even going into the ending, you, d- I never knew for sure quite how it was going to wrap itself yeah, up. Were, were, yeah, were, were they going to get back together? Is that going to be the situation, or is it going to be one of those movies where it's like, no, you know, sometimes people uh, get divorced and they kind of have to part ways, mm-hmm. and
1: it was just a, a nice refreshing kind of light comedy and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was, it was a really good, I would agree. It was a light comedy, but I, I mean, it also, I think had a lot more depth to it than most comedy sorts of films do. So, I mean, on the one hand it's, it, I mean, there was a ton of laugh out loud kind of stuff in it, but then it, at the other end of it, there was also come some fairly deep pathos and, you know, mm-hmm. some, some serious, um, uh, you know, examination of the divorce process and what it does to families and mm-hmm. and individuals and that kind of thing. I, I thought it was really, really, really well done. Yeah. Uh, I thought everyone in it was fantastic. Steve Carell continues yeah. to be um, a favorite, and I mean Ryan Gosling was great. Ryan Gosling again. Like
0: I had just seen him in Drive, and so this was like the other extreme of his mm-hmm. ability because in in Drive he he does not talk. He has like. He's just this quiet, quiet person, and the whole movie is very, very quiet. And then to see him in this kind of, you know, he- uh, laughter heavy kind of movie was really kind of fun and interesting. And um, I want to see Ides of March, mm-hmm. which he's in with uh, George Clooney. Um, I think people have been saying this about Ryan Gosling for a while, but after seeing those movies, and seeing the trailer for Ides of March, I think he is going to have a very long and interesting career. Yeah. I, I look think, forward to watching.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I think he's been kind of over in the indie world kind of a bit. And, mm-hmm. uh, and now he's, um, which is good because I think it's kind of helped him break free from some of his earlier uh, potential stereotypes. Yes, really the notebook um, <laughs> that could have stereotyped his career. And so now he's, he's yeah. kind of, he has that indie cred now. He's moved beyond just like the notebook guy. And I think yeah, he's coming he into his own right now.
0: He could have just been um the romantic comedy guy, mm-hmm. you know, the romantic drama guy, but because of the independent films that he's made, uh Blue Valentine, Half Nelson, um mm-hmm. I think he's real kind girl. Of, Yeah, I think he's kind of shown that he's been able to uh stretch as an actor and he's kind of been able to say, "Hey, I can do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to do anything." And I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think he I think he could be the next uh George Clooney. I mean, he looks a lot like George Clooney. Like, There's a couple of shots there in uh, uh, Crazy Stupid Love where I went, he looks like George Clooney. He looks like a young George Clooney in this. And I think it's funny that then I saw the poster. Have you seen the poster? Yeah, for, uh, where they're doing the, the
1: Time magazine. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> like it's half George Clooney's
0: face, half Ryan Gosling's. And you're like, yep, everybody knows this is not just me. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Movie I've been wanting to see for a very long time. Finally sat down. I cannot recommend it enough. is Downfall.
1: Ah, uh, the Hitler movie.
0: Yes, came out like in two thousand four, I think, mm-hmm. and it's a German movie about the last twelve days of Hitler's life, focusing primarily on the bunker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made by this director who had just made a documentary about Hitler's secretary. Mm-hmm. And it starts off with a couple of um, like a minute or two from that documentary of that woman talking about having interviewed for the uh, the part. Um, interviewing for the role of uh, the job I don't know why I always put it into acting terms <laughs> <laughs> she auditioned for a uh, role of secretary and uh <laughs> and it's interesting because then you you see her talking and then it cuts to that moment where she's being escorted into the bunker and she meets uh the Führer and it's you know it's Adolf Hitler and it is an amazing movie, and I cannot recommend it enough. So, it,
1: so YouTube uh, videos aside, it's still fantastic. yes. And there
0: is that going into it, like because it's you know for those for those I'm sure you people if you're on the internet you've seen these already. People have taken about like there's like a three minute clip where Hitler gets angry at his uh, its subordinates. Um, that's not the right word. At his uh, just, just subordinates, subordinates, yeah. <laughs> insubordinates, maybe the ones who aren't doing the correct thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, he gets angry at his subordinates and starts yelling at them. And in the movie, it makes perfect sense. It's about uh, the the Germans' inability to move their armies around fast enough to. Uh, stop the Russians and to stop the allies, mm-hmm. but on the internet, people have taken that and added their own subtitles so that he gets he's getting angry about uh Waffles or he's getting angry about Netflix or he's getting angry about whatever and they're funny but that's like the only thing I really knew about this movie was that little clip um but it's fantastic because it's like it the way they it doesn't glorify him at all, it really kind of portrays what I feel like is probably the closest um not documentary, but the closest we'll ever get to actually seeing what he was like as a person. Hmm. Um, he he comes off as just a horrible human being when it comes right down to it. But someone who maybe, while he was charismatic on the when he was talking to people, mm-hmm. he was not somebody who should have been in charge of a military. He's not somebody who should have been making these big decisions because he had awful ideas that. You know, killed millions of people, and also was completely irresponsible with the military and with the government and all of these things. And was and he was the downfall of the Third Reich and, and all of these things. Um, Is a fascinating, fascinating movie that just like it's two and a half hours long. And as soon as it begins, you're just you're enraptured. Hmm. And I really can't recommend it enough. Hmm. Um, other two movies I saw, I saw The Illusionist, which
1: was okay. It's just oh, the... Uh, the animated Illusionist. Okay. I was going to say, there's there's two movies, yeah. so... Okay.
0: It, um, it is by the, the director of um, The Triplets of Belleville. Mm-hmm. And if you like that, you'll probably like The Illusionist. I like Triplets of Belleville better. Mm-hmm. This movie... I kept feeling like I should like it more than I was. It was—it's not bad. It's really the animation is gorgeous. There's a lot of really cute moments. There's almost no dialogue in the movie, mm-hmm. which makes it the perfect international animated kind of a movie. Um, it just didn't really ever pull me in. It was just kind of like it was cute. It was—it felt like it could have been a ten-minute short or, a, you know, it felt it could have been like a, a Bugs Bunny-length cartoon mm-hmm. and been just as fun as the hour and a half movie that it was. Um, I'd recommend it. I mean, it's, it's good for those who like animation especially, but it was quite for me. The movie I saw last night, though, is the one that I would <laughs> another one that I just <laughs> 50-50 um, with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen, and it's just beautiful. It is a great movie. It's funny. It's crass. It's a rated R comedy, so mm-hmm. go in knowing you're going to hear those words.
1: But it's a comedy about cancer. So, exactly. You know, and you kind of
0: have to It's again full of drama and it's very real and knowing the story behind it, knowing that Seth Rogen and the guy who wrote it knew this man who kind of went through this situation. Um it is based it is it is based on a true story, but they don't sell it as that. It, that doesn't come up in the movie credits. Um, but I've heard interviews where they go, yeah, we know this guy. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to kind of tell his story in this way. Um, it's funny. It's, I got choked up at the end of it. You know, it's like, there comes a point where it's just like, while they try to have fun with it at the same time, it's cancer and it's real. Mm -hmm. And they treat it in a very real way. And Anna Kendrick, who I love is just delightful. She's the girl from up in the air and she was in Scott Pilgrim. And, um, couple other movies but in this she plays this uh he plays his therapist and so he's 27 years old he's going in to see somebody and she's 24 and she's uh writing her doctorate and so she doesn't quite know he's literally he is literally her third patient ever Hmm. and so he walks in going hi uh is the doctor here and it's really great she's like it feels very real where she's quoting things from the book like, oh, this is your grief process. You have begun the stage known as, you know, and it's like <laughs> she's reciting book knowledge but has no, you know.
1: Actual. No real connection. Yeah,
0: and so yeah. it's it's really great and it leads to some really awkward, hilarious conversations in the therapist's office which make up for my favorite parts of the movie. Um, anyway, 50-50, go see it.
1: Nice. Well, uh, just to kind of throw on here I've seen a couple of, of movies on top of Crazy Stupid Love um, I saw The Four Seasons which is a uh, I don't know, early 80s uh, movie that Alan Alda directed um, has, I don't know this movie it's Yeah, not about, not about the music group No, it, um, it is about a group of friends who uh, get together and do all of their vacations together um, okay. It has Alan Alda Um, Rita Marino um, it has oh, uh, I'm trying to remember her name now, Um, Carol Burnett um, uh, a couple other people that that you would probably recognize and um, it's this really tight-knit group of friends who get together and then um, one of the couples ends up getting a divorce and a new woman ends up coming with the guy on all of their group things. It completely changes the dynamic, and it's it's called the Four Seasons because each each season is a it's different, different vacation that they yeah. go on together. So like it starts out with kind of their happy vacation in the fall at this um, you know cabin somewhere. Then like they go to the Bahamas on a boat for the next one, and you know, it just kind of keeps going like that. And each each one is kind of a different um, moment in the life of this group and the lives of the couples and kind of how they are dealing with this close friend uh, and this close friendship that they all had um, and how it, it kind of tears everyone apart. And then at the same time, they're able to to sort of rebuild um, some of their connection. And it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's not a fantastic film, but it's a, it's a pretty solid little film that, um, I should check that out. That sounds like something I'd like. Yeah, it was. It, it's it's genuinely funny and and has some really heartwarming moments. And at the same time, um, you know, I, I have a couple of groups of friends who I feel very close to. I mean, Scott is one of them. It's it's why we're doing this. And so I I really connected with this movie and kind of went, man, that would what would that do if someone in our group of friends went through this? And what would that yeah. So, so I connected that, with it on a very certain level that I I, I really liked. Kelly and I have talked about that when we when you
0: read statistics that mm-hmm. like 50% of marriages end in divorce and we look at our we we look at our group and we go I hope we're I hope we defy the odds this group mm-hmm. here. We like our you know what would that do and we we've, we've kind of talked about that how
1: mm-hmm. how much that would suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, it, it's definitely an early '80s movie, which is so it's slightly, you know, it's at that point when when divorce is still a little bit, I don't know, maybe not quite as normal or still kind of happening a little bit less often. People don't understand it, so there's some. Uh, you know, there's some some characters who who just kind of like blame people for things and like, right. why couldn't you just tough it out or why could you know? And there's kind of all of this interesting discussion about what divorce is and why people would do it and uh, you know what it's like when you meet up with with the person who you. Chose not to go with with your group or whatever. It's it's, right. it's a very interesting little film. So cool. Um, I just edited it to my queue. Nice. Um, so and then Conan O'Brien can't stop is the other. Yes, uh, movie tell me you know, about
0: this movie. I've heard interesting things about
1: this. Yeah, so it's um it's a documentary that picks up fairly shortly after Conan O'Brien was was uh, terminated from The Tonight Show, mm-hmm. um, and. It's, it's a very interesting little documentary um, because it, it picks up where he is contractually obligated not to be on television for like six months. Right. Um, and so he decides to go do a live tour um, so he could still be out doing something. Um, and, he, you know, I mean, you get a, a lot of the, the behind-the-scenes on, on how the tour is being put together and stuff. Um, but ultimately it ends up being um, it ends up being this really, really interesting portrait of a guy who I think is really, at least in this moment in his life, is probably fairly depressed because, I mean, he just his mm-hmm. dream job was just pulled out from under him. Right. Um, I mean, in, in a weird way, I mean, here, he's a guy who makes millions of dollars or whatever, um, but at the same time, he's just been fired from a job. Mm-hmm. And so he's dealing with all of that kind of... Those those same emotions. Those same still, emotions. Still there. And so, you know, for anyone who's gone through that, you, you really identify with him and you're like, man, this, yeah, it sucks, you know, whatever is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then as he's going on this tour, you, you really start... There's very little held back, and you see how tiring a tour is mm-hmm. for the artist. I've and, never heard that. And um, you know, it's really interesting. You know, we you know, you attend a, a concert or whatever, and you're just excited for that night, and you're you know looking forward to the yeah. event. And if you're one of the lucky people who can go backstage and meet the artist or whatever, it's great and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. This movie is shot entirely from the performer's standpoint, mm-hmm. and you see how. Wearing and tiring it is to always have to be dealing with fans and (laughs) always having to be nice to them. Right. And uh, it's just, it's very fascinating. It's, it's, if you've ever wanted to see what touring life is like from the performer's point of view, this is the movie to watch. Interesting. It's, It's, it's very fascinating. Um,
0: I've wanted to see it because yeah. one of my favorite podcasts is uh, Never Not Funny, which is hosted by Jimmy Pardo, who um, ha- is the warm-up comic, basically, for Conan. He was at The Late Show, and he ha- he is now over on TBS. And so through that podcast, I've heard a lot of stories about the goings-on, how they were let go, how all of that went mm-hmm. down, and then the process of getting the show back. And so it's been really interesting to me to kind of watch that because or listen to that. Um, and I've wanted to watch this documentary. I just, I just discovered it like yesterday on Netflix. I didn't realize that it had been released already.
1: Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, I don't know if it's a documentary for everyone, but if that sounds like an interesting sort of Mm -hmm. thing, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, if you're a Conan I, fan, if you're a, if you're, I think we'll
0: all remember where we were when we found out Conan was being let go. It it strangely took over the internet. It there was, for about a month, maybe, yeah. Or two.
1: It was it was a very weird time when people were drawing
0: was, lines. And when he, when it gets down to it, how many of us actually watch any of those shows? This is what, and not not to belittle any of them, but mm-hmm. um, it became this really people were really fervent and emotional about a show when
1: you look at the ratings. Uh, people aren't watching <laughs> exactly it was it was a very bizarre sort of moment so anyhow, uh, that's that's the movies I have watched um, and then of course I've watched the French Connection which yes. is uh, our movie of the day before we get there though we have to follow up on our Netflix discussion uh, yes Yes. Because we
0: had a, dis- a small discussion on the podcast a couple episodes ago about the direction Netflix was apparently taking. And,
1: of course, this is all old news to this everybody is yeah, else By you know. the time you hear this,
0: it's bored. You're, you're already bored. So we'll go quickly. But yeah. um, Ultimately, Netflix has decided not to split up. And Quickster is dead. Long live Netflix. Yes. Um, they sent me an email, and I honestly I sent them back a thank you note saying hey you know what in this in this world, it feels like a lot of companies and studios don 't listen to the viewers and the customers. Thank you. I really appreciate you not going this direction um, so yeah I just, it's it's good i think
1: yes no i, I would I would agree it was um, I kind of started laughing when I got the email because just this whole <laughs> this whole summer, this roller coaster with Netflix has just been very between. Yeah, prices went mm-hmm. up, and then they announced that they were splitting
0: up. And movies here, instant streaming there, and blah blah blah. We're, yeah. They're going to be hosting uh, new features. It's supposed to be a Netflix show. Is that out yet?
1: I I you, spacey. I don't know.
0: Yeah, um, there's like all of these. You're hearing all this news, and then they kind of go, "Okay, mi culpa." Yes, our bad. <laughs> um,
1: the uh, someone on on Facebook. Um, kind of posted uh, the reaction that I kind of had a little bit, and and I thought this kind of summed up this summer. Um, But when this email came out, they said, Netflix continues to lose its mind publicly. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's kind of what I feel has gone on this summer, just a little bit. But um, at the same time, a search for identity yes it's going um, a crisis yeah hopefully hopefully it will it will get itself together um, the other thing that we really have to touch on and again this is going to be significantly outdated by the time you hear this but um, Steve Jobs died yes. here recently and um, you know whatever you you think of Apple computers I know there's you know Apple fanboys and Linux fanboys and PC fanboys I do whatever feel like that debate is softening. Yes. I don't, I don't find myself
0: in those arguments nearly as often yeah. as I did a couple years ago. Yeah.
1: But what you know, whatever you think of that, um, I you know, I, I I will say that personally I think losing Steve Jobs um is akin to uh you know when Walt Disney died uh, mm-hmm. you know, significantly early in life I think. Uh you know, Walt Walt changed the way movies, animation, you know, whatever mm-hmm. happened And, um, you know, I would say that Steve Jobs did the exact same thing between Mm -hmm. his work with computers, um, and his work with, with Pixar and his work in the mobile phone industry. And I mean, all of this has for good or ill, depending on where you come from, it has completely changed the face of all of those industries and, Mm -hmm. and where they are. Um, And did you, did you hear John
0: Stewart's, Stewart's thing about you did? Yes. Yeah. That, to me, perfectly summarizes Mm -hmm. my feelings on the subject, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, he kind of says, there there are certain people who uh, changed the face of the Earth or history. And when they died, you kind of felt like they had contributed their all. Mm -hmm. And it was good that they were here. And then there are some people who pass away, like Steve Jobs, who you feel like they had only just begun.
1: Exactly.
0: Despite how much they'd already done, there was still so much more. That could have happened had they been here, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, and it 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 sucks, and yeah. it's it's too bad because I mean honestly, this podcast wouldn't be happening without him. Okay. I'm recording on a uh, Apple computer, <laughs> a as am I, and uh, I'm making these web series. You know, honestly, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, and for the past five years of my life, I wouldn't have done almost anything had it not been for the revolutions and innovations that he brought to technology, to cameras, to editing software, to everything that, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yep. So, anyhow, so I guess this is our Steve Jobs Memorial podcast. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am interested to see what happens to Apple
0: because people have, you know, it, Steve Jobs is synonymous with Apple. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hope to see that it continues on a good path because I know he, Kind of saved the company
1: mm-hmm.
0: at least once, you know, by coming back. So I hope Apple continues down this path.
1: Indeed. So only time will tell on that one. So. Do you want to touch on the death of film cameras? Sure. Yeah, there was an article that just came out that basically said um, they've that overall all of the major film camera manufacturers have stopped producing film yeah. cameras. Airy Panavision, at- Aton.
0: Yeah, the Yeah, I I never know how to pronounce that one. Um, they've just kind of quietly stopped making cameras this year. They mm-hmm. just kind of said Oh, well, not cameras, but film cameras. Film cameras. Say that they're going to focus on digital, which um, doesn't surprise me, and yet is also a little bit sad. I only shot on a film camera personally, as a, as a director. I only shot on film once. Um, but it kind of makes me just a little bit sad. But that is definitely an age that has gone away.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I think there's always going to be someone trying to shoot on film. Um, you know, I think yeah. that, um, you know, it, it's going to turn into like a boutique artsy kind of. Yeah,
0: exactly. There's going to be when it when someone shoots on film, it's going to be one of those. Hey, did you know that this movie was actually shot on film? Exactly. <laughs> you know? You're like What?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we're definitely entering a... Not entering, we've been there. I mean, what is yeah. it, like 85% of films shot last year or something were all shot digitally. So, I mean, yeah. we're we're there. It's not entering. We're, we, we're there, we've been there for a while. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're definitely in the digital age of film production. So, um, yeah. you know, in, end of an era, beginning of a new one. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a bit of a revolution in the way that films are made. It, it changes the process, and... Um, it it has it has its strengths and its weaknesses just like any other medium. Any other medium,
0: yeah. And, and it's fascinating to be here at the precipice of that change, where the next generation or even the kids that are in film school now might not ever shoot on film. Mm-hmm. And this discussion of film is just kind of like, well, why would you shoot on film if it takes you this much more? And they'll never know some of those pluses <laughs> some mm-hmm. of those pros that were uh, for shooting on film. It's like. It's, just, it's, it's interesting, and in a couple of years, this won't even be a conversation that people will have, other than in the history book context of, like, this is the process we used to have, and that's why we call it footage, because mm-hmm. it actually used to be
1: actual feet of film. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so... Interesting stuff. Indeed. Sorry, The French Connection. Which was shot on film in 1971. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's number 93 on AFI's Top 100 American Films. Um, yeah. it's about, a, it's about a pair
0: of New York city cops in the narcotics bureau as they stumble into a uh, drug smuggling job. Um, people smuggling heroin in New York basically. And there is a uh, French connection hmm. um, because apparently this is kind of based on the real incidences in the seven sixties or seventies where people were smuggling heroin from Paris. I think it was, um, there was an influx of drugs from France.
1: Yeah, and and I was going to say that that is something that should be noted about this movie just to begin with is that it it is inspired um, by some real people mm-hmm. who were uh, uh, you know in the uh, narcotics bureau. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they were advisors on the movie. They you know they were yeah, they helped it, them with making it. Uh, you know, so it's, it is very um, yeah. The character Popeye that um,
0: Gene Hackman plays is based. While while the story itself might be kind of a loose Mm -hmm. just film, Mm -hmm. um, they definitely uh, based his character on a real police officer who was on set almost every day, kind of going, no, we would do it this way, this would happen that way, and really did inform a lot of the character as well as a lot of the actual story and goings-on.
1: Which is... uh you know, I would definitely say that that takes me to maybe the first strength of this movie is that it really does have a, um, realistic feel to it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it very much feels, uh, set in the, in the seventies. I mean, it definitely Mm -hmm. has that as well. I mean, it doesn't feel like a way a cop would operate today necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it feels incredibly authentic to the era of the film and to, (coughs) um, You know, to what would be going on. It's it's a very real feeling sort of movie. Yeah, there's there's you don't have some of the plot
0: contrivances that you see sometimes Mm -hmm. in cop movies. You don't have people being bugged. You don't have Mm -hmm. people uh, examining pictures on the computer and you know zoom in, you know sharpen enhance enhance. You don't have any of that. It's just it's literally kind of like well, we need to trail this guy. Okay. Yeah, and and so they're standing on a street corner, freezing to death, following a person. Yeah, it,
1: it really does feel like you're watching real police procedure, um, yeah, in in the best way possible. Not despite like, them uh, not necessarily being the best of police officers, right? Yeah, I, you know, I'd say that they operate very much outside the normal parameter and and often get in trouble for that. You know, there's mm-hmm. a there's an FBI guy who's kind of there with them mm-hmm. who rides them pretty hard on some of that stuff, and yeah. uh, um, but yeah, it's uh part of the reason it feels so real um, is also, I think, because of the era it was shot in, because of that that 70s mm-hmm. um, um, time, you know, uh, in the 60s and stuff. Movies were really, really lavish productions that were not doing really well. I mean, you had, like, your Cleopatras and stuff that had, you know, huge, huge multi-million dollar budgets that no one went and saw, and were just these huge right. box office flops. And, uh, you know, the 70s came around, and um, there... I mean, to sum this up in a podcast is is very uh, simplistic, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but there was a broad major strokes. shift. Yes, there was broad strokes, major shift from the studio form of films, um, you know, where it was about yeah, you know, this is an MGM picture. This is a yeah, you know, where the where the focus really shifted to directors having control of their projects um, to the point where there were independent studios, American Zoetrope, and, and companies like this that were cropping up that could make their own movies mm-hmm. outside the world of Hollywood to an extent, mm-hmm. and so you had. Kind of a new burst of creativity in the '70s because it was it was able to shake off some of the confines of what had come before, mm-hmm. um, but it was also coming from companies that, for all intents and purposes, were basically startup companies, and so they had no money. Um, they had right. they had very limited resources, and so um, you know that shows up. And I think a lot of the way things were shot at that point, you know, is very sparse. You know, fairly often, very well, yeah. Whether it's the the lighting or
0: even in this movie, there's a uh, a traffic jam that takes place on the Brooklyn Bridge, which they didn't get permission for. They mm-hmm. literally went out there, they stopped traffic, and they started filming as fast as they could before they would get in trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's it's guerrilla tactics and that kind of thing. And uh, you know, and there's a lot of films from the '70s that kind of fit into this. Mm-hmm. This, I mean. Mo- Most of the ones that we remember are kind of of that. Yeah, and I think
0: one of the things I think is interesting um, is like this is almost the birth of the the anti hero, or Mm -hmm. this is where we kind of, in the 60s, you had this strong, like, this is the kind, no, this is a good person, this is a bad person, brah, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is like the characters, you look at Gene Hackman's character uh, specifically. they exist, and that's kind of it you know you you as the audience member are left to decide whether this is a good person or a bad person or somewhere in between is it something a little bit grayer than that and it's you are supposed to be more emotionally involved or psychologically involved with the story and with the characters um, and I, th- I find that very fascinating and it's because that's something that has carried through um. Let's say a, movie, a show like Breaking Bad that we've been, you know, watching recently, and it's like these are the kind of the same kind of characters. Where while just because they're the main character doesn't mean that's the good guy mm-hmm. that you're rooting for.
1: Yeah, it uh, you know it's also a really interesting movie in that uh, it really does expect you to bring some stuff to the table. I mean, you don't really even necessarily understand everything that's going on in the film. For quite a while into it, there's there's several pieces to it that are kind of disparate, um, and you don't necessarily know how they fit together. You know, Popeye is off doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's stuff happening over in France. You don't quite know yeah, how yeah. all of these things are going to meet. There's no explanation of it. There's no, and meanwhile in France, yes, the right. bad guy is you know, <laughs> like like it, no, it, it never paints him specifically as a bad. You don't find out what he's doing. You know, for like an hour into the film, almost. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was,
0: I was really kind of surprised that I wasn't sure who we were looking for. mm -hmm. You know, I knew there was like this drug thing kind of going on, but I didn't expect the showdown to be between the two people that it ended up being between.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like. And that's something, again, that I feel really lends itself to that realism of this movie is that, you know, it really felt like police work, where these guys were just kind of following their contacts, following through on their leads, going like, hey, here's a place we know where known criminal people associate. Let's go there. Oh, we have a hunch that maybe this person is acting in a way that is not normal behavior. Let's follow him. And, like, there's all these little pieces that slowly fit together until suddenly, you know, these. Cops suddenly have a picture of you know what there is something going on here and this is what it is and and it's it's very natural and believable that the path that it goes and it's not normal kind of mm-hmm. that normal thing that you see in a cop movie where it's like we just found out there's a heist going on or something you know <laughs> we must stop it it's you know or somebody calls in with a bomb threat or something this is yeah. this is this is real police work yeah you know, sped up a little bit for our enjoyment. But I right. mean it's it's following the leads and, and getting to a point where you understand that there's something going on.
0: Yeah, and it's real police officers going after real bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a jewelry heist. It's not something huge and ridiculous. It's like, well, these are the men that are making money by importing heroin mm-hmm. into America, you know? And so it it was very interesting. And there was a couple of um to slightly change the subject, there is a there's a couple of uh, chase sequences in this movie that mm-hmm. are are lauded. I know the cars the car chase sequence is the one people most people talk about. I really like the foot chase sequence in the subway. Mm-hmm. That was the sequence I, which I mean, is
1: yeah, which is all before. kind of one, but I mean it is two separate sorts of yeah, things at the yeah. same time. It's like it was just so well
0: done that that was the moment where I was really tense and. Mm-hmm. Involved in the the sequence more than the the car sequence, yeah. even though the car sequence was pretty fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's it's a um, when uh, as they were um, as William Friedkin, who directed the movie, was kind of deciding what to do. He had talked to the great director Howard Hawks, um, and um, he asked Hawks what. Um, what he thought of his movies and hawk said that he thought they were pretty lousy um (laughs) so william freaking said okay what should i do to make a good movie and howard hawk said make a good chase and make one that's better than anybody's ever done and so and so that's really um that was kind of the impetus for making the french connection was you know what whatever we do there has to be these great chase chase sequences um and and they are it's 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 fantastic um you know it's the one thing i will say about it it's smaller than i was expecting because it
0: gets hyped so much you know and it's because it probably because it is a movie from the 70s Mm -hmm. it it might not compare to some of the chase sequences we've seen in um modern movies or it's mm-hmm. maybe not quite as exciting as modern movies can make chase sequences. So I was kind of surprised that it was so small mm-hmm. in scale as, as far as the sequence goes. Um, that being said, it, it, it fits perfectly within the realm of like the, the reality of the rest of the mm-hmm. movie where everything feels so real. This, this almost feels like what a real chase sequence would be like. Mm-hmm. It's, if that makes sense.
1: I, I don't know if this is maybe the best comparison that I can do for it. Um, but I have a feeling that when this came out in in the 70s, that this chase sequence um, did for audiences what um, the chase sequence in Ronin did for me the first time yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And then again, when the Bourne movies came out... And they had their chase uh, they sequences. They changed
0: uh, action movies completely and how they, uh,
1: <laughs> I think this did that exact same thing in the 70s. And we would not have yeah. Ronan and we would not have Born without this stepping I would, stone. I
0: would say that, that. When I was watching it, it felt like the grandfather of everything else I've ever seen. There's mm-hmm. a lot of staples in modern chase sequences that I think you find maybe for the first time here. Mm-hmm. Um whether it's driving on the sidewalk, hitting the garbage, or just, you know, the actual way they shot it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very interesting.
1: And, you know, and something that it really does bring to the table is, you know, in, in a lot of movies today, you get into the chase sequence, and you're like, oh, we're in the chase sequence now. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and you expect kind of all the normal chase sequence things, where people almost yeah. get hit and dodge out of the way. And so, right. They and almost this, hit the lady at the stroller. Yeah. This has all of that, but it feels... Um, it feels dangerous. It's grounded. Like everything it's, is very, very grounded. Yeah. Like this one, you actually believe this stuff might actually be happening. I don't even
0: think there's music in that sequence, is there? It's like, it's like and it, it, it starts very unceremoniously. It's mm-hmm. not like, to the J sequence. Mm-hmm. It's, I need it's, that car. And he gets in the car, and it becomes a sequence where all of a sudden you realize you're you're strapped in. You feel like you're there in the in the seat beside him, going, "Don't hit that lady! Look out for
1: that!" Which is a very fascinating thing about how this was was made. I mean, uh, you know, um, Gene Hackman did do a lot of the driving in it. When he wasn't there, was a stunt guy who was doing the driving. But during that stuff, the director was often in the back seat of the car with the camera during the stunts. I mean, this is. This is was, really low budget, scary filmmaking. That, you know, they're doing dangerous stunts, and the director of the movie is in the back seat with the, with the lead actor, with, yeah, or with, just with the film camera, or with, yeah. you know, yeah. But the, the, that was some
0: of my favorite stuff that I noticed um, yeah. in that sequence. Was how cl- like there wasn't a cut mm-hmm. where like, you would see Gene Hackman pull a person out of the car, and then he would get into the car and drive away in one shot. So you know it's gene hackman doing this it's not like oh and cut to the professional who is under control (laughs) yeah
1: so uh great great chase sequence and the foot chase sequence is just as good
0: the the subway oh it's so great when he gets into the subway and the guy notices him and he steps out and then he steps out and he gets back in and he gets Mm -hmm. back in and it's like this little cat and mouse really just very small moment and i loved it i love that
1: yeah it's very um it's very interesting because it's it's the kind of sequence that you almost couldn't have today because of cell phone technology and camera yeah. technology it's it's not the way police would do any of the tailing or anything like right. that today um but because of when this movie is it's a fantastic sequence yeah and um it's, it's, it's so great like i just
0: love that because it, it starts off with him on the phone calling the Calling his partner, and the guy walks past him, gets into the the subway, and then the guy notices that he, he knows he's being followed, so he he steps out, and then Gene Hackman steps out of the subway, and he sees that Gene Hackman has stepped out, so he kind of backs back into it while the crowd is going around him, and then Gene Hackman notices that and gets back in, but then the guy gets back out again, and, by and the it time
1: just they kind of play this little game, and it's yeah, it's yeah. just
0: it's great. I'm like that's a really genius little. Sequence. (laughs) Um, Scene or moment.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got some fantastic sequences. It's even when it's, it's not in a chase sequence or whatever, it's, it's definitely telling an interesting story in a very interesting sort of way. Um, I think before we, before we wrap, um,
0: we Mm -hmm. should definitely touch on the, the ending. We don't necessarily have to spoil the ending, Mm -hmm. but um, I think I found it very maddening. <laughs> and also, like the best ending you could possibly have.
1: Yes, I would. Especially when you realize how much this film is based in reality. Yeah. Um, because it ends very similar to, to the way that real life ended in this yeah. particular situation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, sh- that- sh- should we describe it completely? No, I-, I think people listening can okay watch the because movie. You are not. I mean, no, it's just
0: the the decision of the shot, basically, that ends the movie. To me, is just fascinating because there is a complete lack of resolution and almost to the point of it being a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. You know, but then it cuts to like this guy went to jail for this long. This guy ended up dropping out of the police force, and you're just like, what? What? Oh that's the end. Yes. What? Yes. Uh, And that, I mean, that is something that, uh, again, going back to the stuff that's prominent in seventies films is a kind of a focus on, um, there being a lack of resolution. There being a, a, you know, there isn't a neat little bow Mm -hmm. to tie this all up together. And there's like this, the movie comes together in this climax where there's a a chase sequence through a factory, um, where you think they're going to possibly get the guy or what's going to happen. Um, and then it ends <laughs> the guy, you know, without spoiling, I guess, anything, um, he presumably gets away. We don't for sure know other than through the epilogue, I guess a little bit, but at, what I loved about that ending is the, it leaves you with an idea that we are still fighting the same fight,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, this war on drugs, this people smuggling drugs into America, It's not over. The police are doing their best, but sometimes people get away. Sometimes things will happen, or just because they're chasing this guy doesn't mean that someone else down the street isn't importing drugs as they chase this guy. Um, So I like that feeling that this isn't over, and it kind of reminded me of where we're at right now, still facing the same issues, maybe from other countries or different drugs, but generally speaking...
1: It's still the same. It's still the same same thing. Yeah. Yeah, um... Uh, on that note, I mean, this was also um, the first R rated movie to win an Academy Award. Um, yeah. Um, te- technically, Midnight Cowboy.
0: Midnight Cowboy technically, uh, chronologically,
1: is, but when it won
0: the Academy Award for Best Picture, it was an X rated film. And since then, it has gone, but they've gone back and brought it down to an R. Um, but this was the first movie that, out of the gate, was an R rated movie that won Best Picture.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and. I honestly haven't looked to see what it was up against that year. Um, I can't imagine a better film, but yeah, it, it's, <laughs> a, it's a, a fantastic movie. Yeah. It's um, like, okay. That makes sense. And um, yeah, it's, uh, that kind of takes me, I guess, into my um, summary. I, I, I loved it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great movie.
0: Um, I concur, honestly. And after watching this, and then I started reading about it, and reading about 70s movies, I realized a lot of the movies that I like, or the style that I'm really drawn to, is this 70s style, is this based in reality, slightly gritty um, look at life, or at a subject, and one that has a hero or a main character that isn't necessarily a hero, somebody who... The audience needs to decide, is this a good person or a bad person? A movie that doesn't necessarily have a real strong resolution. And as big of a fan as I am of the superhero genre, there's something about this kind of story, this kind of style that I really like. And I'm starting to realize, and I want to watch more 70s movies now, because I've always thought of myself as a child of the 80s, because I was born in the 80s, and I like a lot of what goes on in 80s movies, but I'm starting to think I might be more I might have more connection with uh, these '70s movies. I really, really enjoyed this.
1: Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a fantastic. You know, if you like cop films, if you like movies with chase sequences, if you like, um, uh, I mean, if you like film as just yeah, kind if, of a general thing, you, I, I think you'll like, like this movie.
0: If you like the television show Breaking Bad, if you like uh, Ronin, if you like, you know, some of these, if you like, yeah, like you said, action movies. This is where. A lot of the movies that you're watching now and enjoying kind of started. You know, it's not a Michael Bay movie where it's, you know, it has longer cuts. It, you know, it's a little bit different. Yeah, but
1: it's, it's, a, it's slower paced than our movies are today, but that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing. I say go find it. And if you do go find it, make sure you get the
0: DVD release. I read this really interesting article about when it was released on Blu-ray. The director went back and recolored it. And it, and I've, I've seen pictures, I've seen video uh, clips from the Blu-ray and of uh, screen caps from it, and the movie's blue. <laughs> it's like he made the movie look blue so that it would look colder because it does largely take place, or in, I guess December. I don't remember it being Christmas time, but I mean, you go through the movie, you see the actors' breath. It's clearly a cold month, um, but he made the movie look blue, and it the, it does not look good. And like the director of photography has kind of stepped back and gone, "This is not the movie I shot. This is an abomination. Do not watch this," <laughs> uh, because it's really sad. Because when you watch the movie, it looks great. I mean, it has a that 1970s kind of warm, brownish, orangish look. Mm-hmm. And he's decided. I guess the director felt like he needed to make it look more modern, and so it looks blue mm-hmm. instead of brown or red- orange. And it does weird things to skin tone, like there's scenes where Gene Hackman looks purple. It's it's not good. Find it on DVD.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, so that is uh, the French Connection. Uh, it is yes. well worth your time definitely is what we would say and is number 93 on afi's list so next time we're doing number 92 which is yes Goodfellas, the martin sporsese film yes so um not to spoil it but i think uh, it's safe to say that scott and i are both rather huge fans of this movie so um look forward to that on our next podcast indeed
0: You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the
1: conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com.